Everything that exists has its purpose to bring God glory. For the church, the purpose has always been the same. It's employing the word of God in the making of disciples for the glory of God. While we seek to live out this purpose, we affirm the identity of four organic evidences into a simple statement. By the grace of God, we desire to glorify Him by magnifying His Word to develop disciples who think biblically, live missionally, give generously, and love sacrificially. In the providence of God, two Sundays ago and a hundred years ago, Pastor Mark Bricker stood here and encouraged us to consider the life-changing power of generous giving. Here, two weeks and a hundred years later, I'll speak for a few minutes about love. I've forgotten what the, uh, what the H storm name was supposed to be, but uh, I think I remember they were concerned about the H storm forming down south of us, and then it popped up over by Africa and stole H. As I was working on this message, I never heard of Ian. And here we are. Let's go together to our high ground, the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I love, I love, I love the sound of little people in the worship center almost more than I love any other thing. I'm a granddaddy, and I am a shepherd. 
And, uh, but I'm also aware that I don't need to go full out, full bore, full time in a sermon this morning. But I'm glad the little ones are in here. We're a congregation, we're not an audience. And this morning we're acting like one. And it's a beautiful thing to see. First part of this um, outline that you've got, if you've got the printed one, is a restatement of our purpose statement. And below that, I've given you a little bit of a Greek vocabulary lesson, just a tiny one. The two most commonly used words for love in first century writing, we have a ton of literature that comes down to us from the time period of the Bible. And a ton of it is in Greek because since the time of Alexander the Great, most of the world around the Mediterranean Sea and inland in a lot of distance in all directions, they all spoke Greek because of Alexander the Great's conquests. And a ton of that literature has made it down to us. And the most common word for love overwhelmingly is the word phileo, from which the American city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, phileo, it means the love of high regard, the love of companionship, the love of genuine affection, the love of, I love you, man. And that's, that's a, a very common vocabulary word in the first century. It is the love that centers in relationship. Another fairly common word for love is romantic love. Uh, the Greek word eros, from which descends our English word erotic. It's, it's romantic or, or sexual love. Certainly a, a powerful part of the human experience. There was a rare word for love. It occurs outside the New Testament scriptures from that time period, but not often. Not often because it means something so extraordinary and so rare, it was all but unheard of to speak of agape. They just almost didn't speak of agape. Because the bar, the standard, the price of agape is overwhelming. Unconditional, self-sacrificial commitment to the well-being of somebody that's not me. Who would want any part of that? It's too costly. And yet, in our New Testament, it occurs over and over again. And in fact, this whole chapter is devoted to it. Three things. First, Roman one on your outline, if you're tracking that, is the priority of love. In the first paragraph of the chapter, he states four unattainable things. Four things that aren't going to happen. And he says, if any of these four things happen, but they happen without love, even if they happen, they're not worth it. My speech, nothing I say is going to matter if I don't love. My, my knowledge, my, my, my insight, nothing I know is going to matter without love. My faith, my belief, no matter how strong and well-constructed my insight into what God is up to is, if it doesn't work out in the execution of love, it's of no value. And my giving. 
even if I give spectacularly. There are lots of motives for giving. We've had a, a couple of big out of the area corporate sort of donation opportunities. But when they found out that no, we would not be calling the press to see their truck arrive and no, we would not be, they, they, they chose not, not to come. And that's okay, that's okay. I hope they went somewhere and I hope they met a need and I wish them no ill. I'm just telling you, giving can have all kinds of motives. I'm not against it, but it doesn't mean much unless it comes from love. Love matters more. While we cling together in a fallen, broken world, love matters as the foundation motive for why we say what we say and know what we know, learn what we learn, give what we give. Roman numeral two, not just the priority of love, the practice of it. Verses four, five, six, and seven could be a six-month Bible study. I'm not. <laughs> but if you want a tool to guide your quiet time for the next couple of weeks and you're willing to do a little digging, here's, the, here's, how, here's, how, they're, here's how they're structured. At the very beginning of verse four, two things love is, patient and kind. And then there's a list of things that love does not do that goes from the middle of verse four through the uh, um, middle of verse six. Some things, okay, if, if I'm doing this, I'm not loving. If I'm doing this, I'm not loving. If I'm doing this, I'm not loving. Pay attention to that list. One time, sometimes, often in the word of God, the way we get to truth is God's word helps us carve away error. And from the middle of verse four to the middle of verse six, what God the Spirit is doing for you there is carving away things that aren't love. If I'm envious, if I'm bragging, if I'm rude to people, if I'm ramrodding my own will over that of others, if I'm irritable, if I'm excited when something goes wrong. And then finally, from the middle of verse six to the end of verse seven, some things that love does. If you see yourself doing those things, if you're rejoicing in truth, bearing up under tr trial, continuing to believe the things that God has taught you even when it's hard, looking with hope toward a future, and standing with endurance, it may be that your motivational wiring is wired in to love, and that's a good thing. The third paragraph of this chapter deals with the permanence of love the permanence of love, and he lists, he lists three things that, that demonstrate transience, impermanence. The first of these, and I'm not gonna chase this rabbit, but the first of these deals with a set of spiritual gifts. Now, we, we who are, we who are, are not um, aligned with charismatic traditions see these verses differently than our brothers and sisters who are charismatic. And did you know that you can have differences without division? Have you learned that yet? Let me say that again. That might be the best free takeaway this morning. 
We can have differences without having division. All right? Those of us who are not charismatic see in these verses what, what, what he's saying is there's a set of spiritual gifts that the church needed until the word of God was complete. But once the word of God is complete, the time for the prominence of special gifts of knowledge or special gifts of tongues has receded so that the word of God, that which is perfect now, takes its place of prominence. Whether, whether that illustration or whether that fleshing out is accurate or not, his point remains the same, that there are, there's, a, there's a season for something, but then it passes. His second illustration makes that really, really clear. He talks about childhood. That, that childhood is, is something that, that is appropriate. Childlikeness and childishness are fine in children, but they're to be outgrown. As the possessor of one of Lee County's most staggering Lego collections, I admit a little awkwardness <laughs> with this putting away of childish things. But if you've seen some of the stuff I build, it ain't childish. <laughs> wow, I am sad. <laughs> but there is pettiness, selfishness, dishonesty. Yeah, I think every little kid is a narcissist, don't you? Every little kid just can't help it. but we outgrow it. Well, we ought to. Okay for a season, expected for a season, but we pass beyond it. The third thing that he mentions that is, is something that, that we, we have as transient is the, the dim limitations of this fallen world. I see in a mirror dimly. That is, I am, I am unable to know well, starting with unable to know well what makes me tick. Jeremiah 17, 9, we quote it all the time. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I want you to do this. Every time you would find yourself tempted to start a sentence with, well, I tell you, if I know my own heart, just stop because you don't. You don't. The most pervasive, powerful liar in your life is you. You must go to the word of God to know what can be known. But one day, one day that horrific limitation of this present darkness will have passed. But love won't. I used to puzzle over verse 13. He's just talked about things that, things that get left behind because they no longer have a place. And then he says, faith, hope, and love abide now. But the greatest is love. Key to understanding that verse sat right in front of me for most of my life. And like a lot of things that are really, really simple, you miss them because you're looking for something more profound. Here's simply what verse 13 means. There's coming a day when you won't need faith. There is coming a day when you won't 
need faith because everything he has for you is going to be plain as day right in front of your eyes. You will leave faith behind. There is coming a day when we won't need hope because everything for which we have desperately longed, everything for which we have trusted God looking forward will be plain as day right in front of our eyes. Now abide faith, hope, and love. But for those of us who know Jesus, we're going to leave faith and hope behind. But in eternity, we will never leave behind love. So, two big takeaways. Number one, if you don't know Jesus, I am so glad you're here and I'm so glad you made it through this horrific chapter in the life of our region. And I'll tell you in the love of Jesus because I'll tell you because I know it's true, worse is coming. Worse is coming. If you're outside of Christ, specifically worse is coming for you. But because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his open-handed invitation to sinners, you can come. If you will but turn from your sin and trust him by faith, you can know what it is to have everything that matters forever settled forever. And if the water washes your house off its foundation, as has happened to some who are in this room this morning, you can have joy. Forget everything else I've said. Write me personally off. Come to Jesus.